you're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fan fiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fan fiction written by non-fans. It's sham fiction. This week's author is Marcus. Hey, everybody. How you doing? You look like you're smiling. I'm smiling. I'm seeing the smiles. I'm smiling. I'm seeing the smiles. smiles today. I think we're all we're all smiles. smiles. That's important for the listener to note. Yeah, because... I don't want to peer too far behind the curtain, but we record these maybe an hour or two in advance of the airing, and <laughs> by the that's time totally true. You're listening to this; you will know who the next president of the United States is going to be, and we just hope whatever that outcome is, you guys can smile today because you got a little sham fiction in your pocket. Yay. Yeah, at least at least you got that. At least yeah. you got that. We are very sorry we can't offer more, especially if the outcome is not an outcome that you'd like. But which you know is a pretty good chance that it will be. Yeah, this out- episode. <laughs> this this episode is like a yeah. Never mind, Eric. Stop. Stop <laughs> talking. Uh. We, we we've left the dream world of Harry Potter and the pre-election times, and now we're going where? What is this about? Oh, Marcus, journey with me, won't you? To the year 1957. 1957. It was a hum- humbler times. Cold War. <laughs> yep, that was going on. Sputnik was just put into the air. It was orbiting us for a satellite sent up there by the Russians. And the same year that the Iron Giant came to us. The Iron that, Giant, this is like an the old Statue of film. Liberty? I thought it was like 90s, and here you're telling me this film was made in 1957? This was a film? Oh, he, 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 oh. The Iron Giant came the to us. The Statue of Liberty. Andrew, no, did, that's, 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 he's, that's made of copper, not iron. Right, Marcus. Magneto told me that. Yeah, Magneto. Um, Andrew, for this assignment, like I thought we agreed. Like I, I, I watched a movie like like a Brad Bird-directed like animated oh, film. Oh yeah, yeah. We, I mean, that's what we're talking four. about. We're talking about the dramatization of the events, but uh, oh yeah, based on a true oh. story. Are we really doing the Iron Giant, guys? Because I've never yes, seen we're doing that, the Iron but Giant. I want to see it. I've been thinking about buying it blind. So this as, would this would be your favorite movie ever, Marcus? Just yeah, dude. Sweet. As, it's the as, best. as we were watching this, all we could think is like, when Marcus watches this, it's going to be his favorite movie of all time. But instead, I get to watch Twilight and Magic Mike XXL. Good job, podcast. <laughs> You're a lucky man. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, I hear complaints. Things are being raised as complaints when they should be seen as blessings. Uh, I see. I see. That's true. So, yes, we're talking about uh, the film by Mr. Brad Bird, director Brad Bird, also director of Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, um, <laughs> which is the best. <laughs> Only other credit to his name. Uh, 
end of list moving on yes moving on um so the iron giant <laughs> yes eric it came out in 1999 the film adaptation uh-huh. uh came out in 1999 uh it features the voice talent of jennifer aniston who who was in friends that we shamed before <laughs> yep uh harry connick jr christopher mcdonald john mahoney who was on Frasier, which we shamed before oh yeah he also played uh, Xander Cage in the movie Triple X. Oh, Marks, you're getting a little ahead of us here. You're getting a little ahead of us here. Because, yes, Xander Cage himself, Vin <laughs> Diesel, joins us as the voice of the Oh, that's not John Mahoney, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah a little confused. Yeah. A little Close. confused. Close. So, yeah, guys, we watched this movie, and we're going to pitch it to you, Marcus. Your soon-to-be favorite movie of all time. Um... This nice, this adventure science fiction film. It's it tells it, it spins a good yarn, and we hope that you spin a good yarn based on this pitch. Who who wrote the film? The film was written by a man named Tim McCandles, based on the book The Iron Man, ooh, by Ted Hughes. Gotcha. I, based on true events. Based on apparently. true events. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Eric. Yep. So. Let's tell you a little bit about this story. Please do. Shall we not? All right. So, the story of the Iron Giant is set in small town USA, also known as Rockwell, Maine. Ooh. Rockwell. You you feeling that wholesome American vibe yet, Marcus? I'm feeling it. Good. In the aforementioned 1957. So, in the year 1957, in outside in the ocean, in the Atlantic Ocean, near Rockwell, Maine, a big old iron giant <laughs> splashes down <laughs> into the water. Paint a beautiful picture here. <laughs> splashes down, sploosh, comes down, swims ashore. Yep, doggy paddles. Yep. For As the viewers at home, they didn't see it. I don't know if yep. like my hand's brushing by the mic or picked up. <laughs> and he comes ashore and he is saved from electrocution by a nine-year-old boy named Hogarth. I'll say that again. Hogarth. Because what? <laughs> like the lawyer. Is that ever explained to Aaron? Is that ever Jessica explained? Jones. It's just a name. It's just a dumb, dumb name. <laughs> like the, Hogarth the lawyer. Hughes. Lawyer and Jessica Jones. Hogarth Hughes. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. So yeah, so this the, this little boy he he saves the, the the giant from being electrocuted because the giant likes nomin on metal, and the <laughs> giant chose to nom on an electric station place. And I don't know what they're called. It's um, just a power Eric, station, man. Yeah, you, you got know, it. it's those places you you put them way out in the woods. Yeah. You know, like amongst the trees, because yep. that's the safest place, yep. Safe place for all your high-powered electronics. Yep. And it's just like a series of towers and girders, all metal, that glows with electricity. And always, always at the base of these things, a giant on-off switch. Always. I've seen them. Yeah. Uh, important to his ability to save aforementioned Iron Giant from aforementioned electrocution. <laughs> And he, he knew there was an off switch because he'd been planning some sort of terrorist strike at this point. This is way before we had any reason to be afraid of anything. 
Marcus. This was the 50s. The Nazis were dead. Right. Before the election, too. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. Pre-election, post-Nazis. In the before you times. Yep. So, also before the Star Wars prequels. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That again. <laughs> All right. So... <laughs> So Hogarth saves this uh, big metal man, and they become friends. And Hogarth teaches the giant about the world, and he tries to keep him hidden hidden from the government, who is snooping around the area trying to find him. They don't know it's giant. They just know something weird is going on because there have been reports of, well, like, bite-like pieces being taken out of metal things. <laughs> like and cars. Like cars. Because it's the yep. 50s. Cars are made of metal. They sure are. They sure are. Uh, so yeah. So that's kind of the general thing that's going on here. Um, so let's let's get into the the characters that make up this uh, this this little tale. This this delightful tale. Eric, tell us a little bit more about Hogarth. Man, Hogarth is a precocious little scamp. <laughs> he is he is a latchkey kid of epic proportions. He's a little dweeb. He's like a little skinny kid. He's a dork. But he like you know he loves science fiction and stuff, and he's got his uh, he's got his little BB gun and his giant flashlight and his like military helmet with like the goggles on it, or like aviation helmet. So he's a cool kid. And like, by cool we mean like not cool at all. And apparently doesn't have any friends. Yeah, zero kinda, friends. No zero friends. friends. Huge imagination and a big soft heart. He's adorable. Uh, yeah, he's adorable, and he's just, you know, curious and adventurous. He, uh, you know, he, he wanders off in the, into the the woods and, and ends up saving this iron giant, uh, you know, because he's got that adventurous spirit. He wants to go out and take care of it. What's going on? What just ate our TV antenna? I need to know. <laughs> so, Yeah, know, that's the key thing. Like him. It, when we When we meet Hogarth, you know, or like very early on in the film... Uh, the TV goes out, he goes up on the roof and sees that the antenna has been stolen. It's just gone. And then he sees footprints going out (laughs) into the woods, giant footprints. And instead of just freaking out or doing nothing about it, Hogarth goes after it. He gets his aforementioned helmet and BB gun, and he goes out after it. So that tells you a lot about Hogarth right there. He is, he's the adventurous type. He wants to be, he wants to be a part of a story. Marcus, the word aforementioned has to be in your sham fiction. I already made a note. I, the I aforementioned had word aforementioned. Noted. Uh-huh. Good job. Uh, but yeah, and Hogarth, he like loves animals. He's got like little pets. He's he's just a good kid, you know. His his mom works down at the diner. She works late hours, so he's pretty self sufficient. And uh because he just doesn't get a lot of uh, doesn't get a lot of mom time. He's he's only got the mom. We, the dad is never mentioned. So you know. Yep, single mom. He just mm-hmm. she works late nights. So he after school he just goes home and eats Twinkies and builds blanket forts and watches sci-fi movies. Sounds like my kind of kid. It's the life I tells you. So we gotta talk a little bit about the aforementioned. <laughs> Yay! Iron Giant. <laughs> so, the giant. Let's talk about this giant guy, uh, Vin Diesel. Um, he is Groot. He is giant. <laughs> uh-huh. So, the giant, he's a gentle guy. He, he, he's very curious, inquisitive. 
Um, he, but but his 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 gentle nature is off put by his massive size. <laughs> He's fifty feet tall. I don't know if we mentioned that, Ooh. and I don't know if that was aforementioned. Um, <laughs> So he, so he's very gentle, you know, and just kind of like, you know, he, he, but he, he, he's not aware. It's like a puppy when he grows up, you know, like a golden retriever grows up, doesn't realize how big he is, and then he sits down you know, on the couch and it hurts. Would you say I could accurately characterize him by saying he's uh, clumsy? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Yay! Speaking my language, Marcus, oh, you my could goodness. say that. You, you could, could you that. definitely could. So the giant, when he crash landed onto Earth from outer space, what? Yes, Marcus, yep. he came from outer where did he, where space. Where did he come from? Did somebody send him? Was it the Russians? <gasps> we don't know. But we the, just don't know. But you know, but you know what? Well, here, keep telling me. Keep telling me about this giant of iron. I will. I will keep telling you about the giant of iron. So when he crashed, his head was dented. So he don't remember anything. He don't know where he from. He don't know where he do. <laughs> Guys, I'm having a stroke. <laughs> well, while Andrew is having a stroke, I will fill in by telling you that this this Iron Giant, he's just like, he is like a puppy. He's like a newborn baby. He, all he knows is that he needs to eat metal, which he does. <laughs> And you know he gets into gets into trouble because he's always munching on that metal, uh, but he doesn't really know what he's there for, you know. So it's like the people around him and Hogarth don't know what the heck he's there for, and neither does he. So, uh, so yeah. yeah, it's a lot of like the newborn baby, like blank slate is 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 important because uh, that's a key thing in the film. Is Hogarth is teaching the giant about the world. Like, he'll point at something and say that this is a tree, and the giant will go, tree, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> it was a terrible Vin Diesel impression. Ah, gosh, no one can get their voice that low, except for tree. Vin Diesel and James Earl Jones. <laughs> that was um, my, my take. Your take was all right. Um, That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. so good. That's good. But you know, you know who thinks that maybe this Iron Man... Might have been sent by the Russians. Who, Eric? Obadiah Stane. No. Ke- no, no. You nope. know who? You know who? Kent Mansley. Works for the government. <laughs> Good old Kent Mansley. Uh, Kent it. Mansley. So uh, this, he's, a, he's, a, he's a G-man. He shows up in town because he's hearing about all these mysterious bites out of things. And there's even some, like, crazy old fisherman who's spreading stories about seeing some iron giant out in the ocean. So, you know, he's coming to investigate. And, like, what? This whole power station got destroyed by this giant thing. What could have done it? Shows up. Yeah. He's got... He's, he's on the case. He's on the prowl. He's got a strong jaw. <laughs> it's just total, total paranoia. Like, Cold War era stuff where it's just he just doesn't he's 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 concerned about the well-being of america and american values yeah he's freaking out like like kent kent is 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 the epitome of paranoid g-man 
Um, and he believes that something is up from the beginning because his car gets a bite taken out of it <laughs> right away. And so he know, he doesn't see the giant at that time, but he knows immediately that something's up. Uh, he is he represents the Bureau of Unexplained Phenomena. So there's a bit of an X-Files vibe going on here, <laughs> though he's not nearly as chill as the fox. True. He's the opposite True of chill. He is he is he's very paranoid, as Eric said. Yeah. But he's on the he's on the case. Mm-hmm. And uh he immediately he finds uh he okay. So he immediately gets on Hogarth's case because he finds a smashed BB gun with uh with some beautiful words on and it. Some words that Eric some beautiful loves words so dearly. <laughs> It says on this gun, which, by the way, has been cracked in half, so we only get part of the words. It says, hog hug? <laughs> hog hug? Which, which Ken exclaims at one point, two fits of laughter from Eric and I. Hog hug? Certainly not short uh, for Hog Earth Hughes. Uh, he figures it out, and he shows up at, the, at, uh, at his house. You know, mom's there. Uh, we'll have to talk about mom a little bit. Uh, but he ends up renting their spare room. (gasps) So that's fun. Yeah, so the threat of discovery is always there by Kent. Because Kent makes it very clear to Hogarth that whatever this thing is, it's bad. And it is a threat to American safety. And he will destroy it if he finds it. And Hogarth saying, like, what? There's no, there's nothing. I didn't see anything out in the woods. There's no giant Iron Man. What are you, crazy? But Kent Mansley, he works for the government. He knows that Hogarth Hughes is hiding something. He's on to him. He's going to get that info. And he's he's very uh, demeaning to Hogarth. He constantly calls him slugger and sport and tiger and every single phrase like that. Champ. That's it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> End of list. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So we got a few more characters. We were talking about mom. Let's talk about mom. Let's talk so about mom. mom is Annie Hughes. Annie Hughes. She's a single mom. She works at the diner. And she loves her son, Hogarth. She loves him to death. But she just doesn't get him. He's a weird kid. And so his adventurous spirit you know going off into the woods in the middle of the night in search of giant iron giants <laughs> you did good uh just kind of exasperates her you know she's trying to do her best but uh she can't quite connect with exasperated is a good word to describe annie hughes it's, everything is just oh hogarth you know because she because he's a handful He's just running off into the woods in the middle of the night, meeting meeting strange alien iron men. Come on, <laughs> what mother deserves oh, that man. sort it's of treatment? It's nine o'clock. Does do you know where your children are? All right, nobody got that. All right, so we got another character. Moving was, on. Wait, nope. is that a reference to something that happened before the prequels? Yes, it, it is. I should See, know that I'm talking to I the just, wrong crowd here. I just don't somebody know. at home is like. laughing their butt off no 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 they're like andrew that was a mediocre reference (laughs) Uh, that 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 guy's me i'm at home (laughs) hey thanks dog all right so we got one more big character to talk about and he's a pretty cool guy so we need to talk about him is it he might even (gasps) oh 
You were pretty good at that. That one was Yay. much better. You're improving. Um, so Dean, Dean McCoppin, McCoppin, <laughs> McCoppin, because yep. he's a cool guy. Uh, so Dean, he, uh, yeah, he, he is a cool guy. His hip, he's a beatnik. He, uh, he wears black sweaters, has a soul patch, um, and he is, uh, the owner of the local salvage yard, who's full of metal, scrap, cars, crap, that he turns into art. He's a, he's a, he's an artist, he's a sculptor with all the metal junk. Um, and Dean's thing is that he sticks up for weirdos. He, he, he's down with Hogarth. Hogarth's a weirdo, and he likes this kid. He thinks he's got gusto. He likes his attitude. Um, so when Hogarth knows that the giant needs some metal to eat, he knows where to go. He takes him to Dean's place. Got the supply. And Dean is pretty freaked out. <laughs> but he goes with it. Like, he's, he's open to it. And because he sees how gentle the giant is and how he is around Hogarth. And so he does go with it, despite just being a little freaked out about him at all times. Because he, unlike Hogarth, understands that there's still danger with having a 50-foot metal man hanging around. So yeah, that's everybody. That's the gang! It's pretty much everybody in this movie. Uh, but, you know, it's mostly Hogarth and the giant. And trying to keep the giant under wraps. Because Hogarth has seen, like, the 1950s sci-fi horror films. He knows that when a giant walks into town, everybody loses their cool. Everybody freaks out and starts shooting guns. And he don't want that. And furthermore, if somebody aims a gun or threatens the Iron Giant in any way, something weird happens to him. Andrew, what happens? He gets, he, he kind of gets close, and the guy gets tense, and his eyes turn red. Ooh. And, like, kinda, and kind of, uh, 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 aperture in, you know, like, because he is metal, so he doesn't, he doesn't have normal eyelids. He goes, Voop! and and he gets really intense, and then he shakes it off. He's like, what was that? It's like, he doesn't, he doesn't even seem to know what that was, but, you know, it happened. Weird. Okay, so yeah. maybe what does what does that say? What does that say about our about our big friendly giant of yeah, iron? Are we safe? Is America safe, Eric? I just don't know. I have a feeling that America is not safe. Oh my goodness. There might be a threat, not just from the government, but from the giant himself. Perhaps. Per from the Russians. Uh, so, you know, the threat is there. Gotcha. But anyway. So this film is a good mix of like old fashioned optimism from the area the era of which it's set. But there's also since it was made in ninety nine, there's a good awareness of that time. So it's very aware of the fact of the, the, the fears and the paranormal around the Cold War. And there's some jokes taken at that expense expense. Like Duck a, and Cover. Yep, good old Duck and Cover. There's a film that Hogarth's class watches <laughs> oh, no. that's just all about Bombs going off and children hiding under their desks and being completely safe from fear. The nuke. Protect yourself from nuclear holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some winks like that, but th- that that's always there. And Kent, I would say, is the the, the biggest purveyor of that pa- paranoia. But uh, the, the the rest of the rest of it's still there. Um, there's there's a, like when people like that uh, the, the the old uh, ship captain that Eric mentioned the guy who first sees the the giant, um, 
that's like one of the first things he says is that it's fr- it's from the Russians or it's from outer space. You know, that's kind of the time that we're in and the fears that they have. Do they say Reds a lot? They I could. Don't know if they say Reds, but that would fit. You know, commies, Russians, that sort of thing. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you got this. Uh, I mean, the town's called Rockwell. It's very idyllic, but there's the fear inside of that. That 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 beautiful, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, nailed you, it. You got it. You said it. Uh, uh, I think that's it. How, that's yeah. like the basics. How would you describe the Iron Giant's vocabulistics? Uh, he he has to be taught everything. Like he he the. He gets, like, Hogarth is very animated, so he kind of gets the vibe from Hogarth's actions. You can tell that he, he is able to intuit certain emotions and, and, and emotions that Hogarth is communicating. But in terms of words, he has to be taught everything. He has to be taught all the words. Limited vocabulary. Yep. Doesn't speak until Hogarth teaches him a word. Okay. Yep. yep. He's very much a blank slate. Uh-huh. Sweet. So, yeah. So you can kind of do... There's a lot of things you can do with this. You know, you can have Hogarth trying to hide the giant. You can have them going on some sort of little adventure. A learning experience, if you will. Um, And feel free to write from whatever sp- perspective you want. We're keeping this pretty open. There's a lot of options. Yeah. Excellent. I am excited, gentlemen. Bonus points? Bonus points. What are they going to be? Ooh, girl. Andrew, you start. Yeah, I'll start. All right, so uh, my bonus point <laughs> is that I want you to reveal something from the giant's past. So we have given you very little information other than the the dent in his head and the, 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 the red eye thing. Um, but where, where where did the giant come from, perhaps? What, what, what was he built for? Or who built him? You know, dip in a little. Dip a toe into to one of those questions. All right. That's fun. Eric. Uh, mine uh, is going to be uh, different. Um, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so in this movie, there are, there are some, some jokes that happen that, like, this is such a, a, a I guess, a mature sort of um, really well-done story. Very simple, very innocent, very just wholesome uh, but there are some jokes that stood out to me that I really liked, uh, because there are quite a few poop jokes in this movie, <laughs> toilet humor. Yes, there is. And so, and, and usually played pretty cool, you know, just sort of, you know, they're not like in your face, like, ah, poop, but they're, you know, they're kind of playing it in the background and you're like, I know what's going on there. That guy has to take a crap. <laughs> And uh, it's fantastic. So I, I want you to insert at least one good poop joke All right. in your piece. Yep. Enjoy. Thank you. I was wondering how the Iron Giant defecated. That was something that came up. You know, maybe there's your answer right there. Yeah. You, know, you could probably kill both these bonus points in one go. <laughs> he was built to poop. <laughs> I was good. I was afraid that you guys were going to make me reference the current uh, presidential nominee 
Um, you mean the current president, the 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 newly elected president to be? Yes, the president elect. That's the words. That's that's. The I mean, I totally words. could because obviously I already know. Uh-huh. That, uh, that would have been a difficult bonus point. Would have been tricky. <laughs> I like that. All right. I think we're good here. Sweet. Marks, any last questions before we send you away? When I do record this, because I'll have to practice the voices, can I just pitch my voice for all the other characters up so that relatively <laughs> the Iron Giant sounds low? Well, you could do that, and then I will in post pitch your entire thing way down. Perfect. I bet that'll sound great. I think that's Perfect. the best way of doing this. This is a good thing. We're discovering All right, things. you hog hugs. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go write this thing. <laughs> hog hug. Uh, have fun. Hey, folks, we'd like to make a quick request. If you enjoy the podcast, please support us by subscribing and get a new episode for free every Sunday. While you're at it, you might consider rating us as well. We like positive reviews, so if you have something nice to say, please say it. If you don't like the show, well, pretend you're writing a sham fiction of a positive review and get yourself a little writing exercise out of it. Sounds like fun. All right, thanks for listening, and let's get back to the show. Mr. Carlson? Yeah, huh? Marcus is off writing some Iron Giants. He's yeah. going to warm our hearts. He's totally going to warm our hearts. I'm fully expecting that. That doesn't count as my secret bonus points. That's just that's just a given. He's going to warm my heart. <sighs> I'm so excited. Are you are you excited? I'm visibly excited. Oh, I can. You you I can see it. That smile on your face. No, oh, I'm not boy. talking about that. Here, let me stand oh, up a little higher. Yeah. Let's yeah. not talk about that. Oh, let, there. This, hello, is, a, this is a kids show. Um, this is not good for this. Anyway, know, dude, you know what, what I is, expect? What's, what what are you guessing? What do you think is going to happen here? Um, I think this whole this entire story is going to be structured around one thing. This is so obvious, so easy for Marcus in what we know about Marcus. This is a, going to literally just be a story about teaching a robot to love. Oh, of course. That's a good call. That That's is a really everything good call. Marcus loves. Hey, you know what? I'm going to double down too. Whoa, double if, down. Here it is. He double secret teaching, probation bonus points. Teaching a robot to love, and it includes some sort of self-sacrifice. Oh, the, my He is gosh. hitting all of the heartstring things that Marcus adores, and he the, will get 100,000% correct. It might bleed that, over into his next story, the, the percent right he gets. Oh, my goodness. You're going to have to write that down. You're going to have to remember that. You're saying it remember. now. Well, if he hits it. Okay, sure. But that's a good point because you just, you were absolutely right. Those are the two things that Marcus loves more than anything in stories. So that is a good guess. What do you think? Um, what do I think? Um, wow, what do I think? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to say that there's going to be a Groot reference in here, uh, <laughs> considering that the voice of the Iron Giant is one Vin Diesel who also voices. That I character. Um Groot. Some of that. Yeah. Some good int that. voice. Some you tree know, beard. Or, yeah, like maybe if the Iron Giant talks at some point, he just sounds like Groot. He just is Groot. He just is Groot. Maybe okay. instead of iron, he's made of wood. Perhaps uh, he is he'll meet his friend the wooden giant, who just hey. straight up is Groot. 
Just Groot. Yep, yep. Yep. There you go. But whatever it may be, there's some sort of nod to the lovely Groot in this story. Oh, that'll be fun. And possibly heartwarming. Let's oh, uh, let's bring let's, him back. Let's do it. Hey there, American fellas. How you doing? Oh, hey. Hey, I, Tiger. How are you, sport? Doing great, Slugger. <laughs> Fantastic. What do you got for us, Skipper? Oh, I'm so excited to share this story with you guys because I fell in love with the uh, the story that I've never seen that you've told me is going to be my favorite movie. I knew you would. <laughs> and while I was writing, I ordered the Blu-ray, so I'm finally going to watch it as soon as we're done here. Ooh, perfect. Nice. That's great. Okay. You ready? Are you guys you ready? ready? Are you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm so excited. My heart is pre-warmed. I, I put it in the oven. I preheated my heart <laughs> for this story. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to give it a go. All right. Hogarth Hughes was crouched under his desk at school pretending the Russians were about to atomize all of Maine, when a terrible thought occurred to him. It wasn't the worn film strip Mr. Jacobson was playing that set him off. Do your part to save the American race when the bombs start falling. Know your place, just pull out your chair and duck down there. Under your desk is the safest space. <laughs> Nor was it the fear that the government agent living in his family's spare room might discover the giant robot Hogarth was keeping hidden in the trees behind his house while he was at school. Though, that was a bit closer. The terrible thought was worse than bombs or a million men in dark suits. Alone to his thoughts under the desk, Hogarth realized that the Iron Giant, his best friend in the world, had never eaten candy. (laughs) He must be slipping at the age of nine To have let such an obvious blunder go on for so long He shuddered to think how his mind might go even further When he reached the double digits But there would be time to worry about that later Right now, he had to focus on fixing his horrible oversight He had to give the giant candy Mr. Jacobson gave the class the all clear And the room was filled with the sound of twenty chairs Scraping against the wood floor While the next part of the video began to play When the Rooskies come knocking at your door, put your trust in God, give those reds what for? (laughs) But Hogarth wasn't listening. He was already thinking of a way to give the giant the treat of his life. Actual candy wouldn't do, because it wasn't made of metal, and Hogarth hadn't seen his friend eat anything else. But there had to be something. That thought carried him all the way through the day and back home to the woods. The giant was patiently eyeing a pile of scraps when Hogarth made his way out to see him. He had taken to waiting to have his dinner with Hogarth after Hogarth had explained, or at least gestured vigorously, about the concept of family meals. Hogarth's (laughs) mom hadn't been around for meals for some time. Hogarth was still trying to teach the giant new words, but had found out very quickly that his friend didn't like getting overloaded with lessons. It was best to keep him to one new word each day. One time, when Hogarth had tried to teach the giant his song about the bomb drills, his eyes had gone red and contracted in the same way they did when he was threatened. They hadn't spoken for the rest of that night. I have a new word for you today, buddy, Hogarth said, brightly. And he sat on a fallen tree by the edge of the clearing the giant had made. It's one of my favorite words, and I'm sorry it took me so long to share it with you. Can you forgive me? The giant looked back and forth between Hogarth and the scrap metal they had collected from Dean. Hogarth nodded, and the giant began shoving old bumpers and pipes and lead refrigerator doors into his huge mouth. (laughs) I'll take that as a yes, Hogarth said, and the giant nodded rigorously, 
sending bits of metal cascading out the sides of his mouth. Hogarth beamed at him from underneath his aviator goggles. <laughs> Today's word, the most beautiful word in the English language, is candy. Hogarth had expected a reaction, but the giant just stared at him blankly. Of course he wouldn't know how to react. If he knew what candy was, he wouldn't need to learn about it. <laughs> Nine really was getting close to old age. Nonetheless, Hogarth pressed on. Can you say candy? Candy! The giant boomed. <laughs> Very good! But since you don't eat normal food like me, and Mom usually can't afford candy when it's not my birthday, I had to think of other options. Do you know what cheese is? The giant cocked his head. It's a type of food that people think gets better with age, which is a crazy thing to say because all cheese is great. But that got me thinking. Maybe the best treat in the world for you would be aged metal. And since all the stuff you're getting here is car parts and pieces of torn down buildings and such, I had to think of the oldest metal I know of. And then I remembered the field trip that I took to Fort Preble a couple years ago. And they had cannons. And cannons are filled with metal balls that even look like candy. And I knew it would be perfect. What do you think? <laughs> Hogarth looked up at the giant nervously Was he being too silly? Why would a spaceman care about candy? But then the giant spoke Friend It was one of the first words Hogarth had taught him And it still made him smile to hear it The giant reached out his massive hand For Hogarth to step onto And pulled him close to his ear to hear their plan Of course a spaceman would care about candy It was, after all, candy <laughs> <laughs> Kent Mansley was no dummy. He did, as he would tell you, work for the government. But he had made a strategic error in his decision to room with the Hughes family. That little brat of theirs was up to something. He knew it. But instead of getting to keep an eye on him by living so close, he feared he had tipped the kid off to his suspicions. After a week of living with them and following the kid to school, he was no closer to finding the whereabouts of the monster the fishermen had reported to him. The Bureau of Unexplained Phenomena needed an answer soon or they were going to pull him off the case. So Kit decided to move off his surveillance and go back to the source of the initial reports. Yes, cars were being bitten on the mainland now, but the ocean had been the location of the first sightings of this giant creature. And he had access to some of the best naval equipment in the world through his contacts. Battleships, submarines, radar. If the creature came from the sea, he figured, it might return to it. The spray of the ocean was almost too much for Hogarth, but he was having so much fun that he didn't complain. Riding on the giant's head as they made their way across the Atlantic coast, he found the dent that made the giant look so silly was a perfect place to settle in for a long journey. Hmm. The yeah. giant had been hesitant initially to go back into the ocean, but Hogarth explained the brilliance of the plan. Agent Mansley was too busy looking around the town to find them out here, and since Fort Preble was located in the harbor, they could go right up to the site without having a giant emerge and show himself. Hogarth remembered the bus ride took several hours from Rockwell, but he wasn't sure how long it would take in giant steps. Eventually the joy of the ride wore off, and Hogarth found his eyes growing heavy. He let sleep take him, knowing that the giant would keep him safe. He even trusted the giant to find the way there. He was uncannily good at locating military outposts even old ones. Hmm. Hogarth awoke sometime after dark and was pleased to see that Fort Preble was just as he remembered it. After running around on shore for a bit with his flashlight, he was contented that there was no one there to stop them from getting the giant a snack. Mom said historical sites had limited hours because the government didn't fund them, but that didn't make any sense to Hogarth because why would they spend money on stupid things like war when they could preserve awesome things like history? 
<laughs> sure, Fort Preble was used for war, but wasn't the point of old wars that people would learn from them so they wouldn't have to have new ones? And besides, the fort hadn't actually seen any battle in the Civil War, which made it perfect because all its cannons should still be fully stocked. It didn't take long for Hogarth to find exactly what he was looking for, a pyramid of cannonballs on display in the middle of the courtyard. There were 25 of them in total, Hogarth knew, because he had counted them on his last trip. They sat next to a sign that read, The Artillery of 1863. Hogarth made the bird sound that he had taught the giant as an all-clear for when they would meet in the forest, and his massive form came rising out of the ocean. His eyes lit up with a soft white light that illuminated the base. In three short strides, the giant was standing before Hogarth. Well, here you are, buddy. These cannonballs are almost a hundred years old. I bet they taste just like candy. I'm actually almost jealous that I can't have one, Hogarth said. (laughs) And he sat down his flashlight to hoist the utmost cannonball to the giant. It was very heavy, but Hogarth did his best to hold it steady. He didn't want to look weak in front of his friend. The giant picked up Hogarth and the cannonball with one sweeping motion and opened his mouth to say, Candy! Hogarth, whose arms were now shaking, tossed the treat into the giant's mouth. It fell away into the darkness and clanged as it hit his inner workings. The giant stumbled back and set Hogarth down roughly. He then put his hands on his stomach and cocked his head at Hogarth. That might be a bit of a stomach ache. I think that means it's working. When I haven't had sweets in a while, sometimes my stomach gets sore when I tried the first one, but then I just keep eating more candy until I'm so full I can't move anymore, then I fall asleep, and when I wake up, I don't feel sick. You should have some more! (laughs) The giant looked at Hogarth for a moment, but then did what he was told, and grabbed the entire pail of cannonballs with one hand. He shook them into his mouth, and their clanging was loud enough that Hogarth was glad he had checked to make sure the area was clear before he had called for his friend. This time, after the initial clanging, the rumbling in the giant's stomach didn't stop. His great hands once more clutched his abdomen, and Hogarth had a terrible new thought. What if the giant got sick and had to sleep here in the middle of the courtyard? His mom would be so mad and he would get into so much trouble. But that thought evaporated almost instantly as the entire courtyard was filled with a blinding light. Hogarth recognized the voice coming from the megaphone before his eyes adjusted to be able to find its owner. Agent Mansley. Stay where you are. God bless Radar and God bless the USA. You are under arrest for vandalizing a national historical site and under suspicion of working with the Soviets against the interests of the United States. When his eyes could finally see again, Hogarth realized with dawning horror that Agent Mansley was aiming a bazooka directly at the giant. There was no time to talk him down, no time to do anything. The giant's vision had already gone red. His electric eyes narrowed into deadly pinpoints. Hogarth had seen this happen before, but he'd always been able to talk him down or remove the threat that set him off. Now there was no chance of that. Agent Mansley was bad enough standing on the ancient battlement, but he was flanked by four more agents all bearing weapons and shouting next to giant floodlights. Whatever the giant had been hiding, whatever terrible past Hogarth had been denying, this was it. It was all going to come out. Hogarth looked up at his giant friend and silently begged him to stand down. He hoped the agents wouldn't hurt him, but his sludge-like nine-year-old brain couldn't find the words to make any of it happen. The second stretched on and on like the moments of his first bomb drill when he had still been afraid, until finally the giant reached a breaking point. But it wasn't what Hogarth had been expecting. He didn't shoot lasers out of his eyes or tear them in apart. He didn't launch missiles or reveal massive machine guns in his fingertips. Instead, the giant, there was nothing else to call it, threw up. Cannonball after cannonball came spewing from his giant mouth and tearing into the centuries-old walls of Fort Preble. 
The men standing on top of the structure were forced to abandon their weapons as they tried to jump out of the way. Hogarth tried to keep track of the number of cannonballs, but it was hard to mark over the chaos that was consuming the yard. The lights had been hit, and the Hogarth's flashlight now seemed too pale to make a dent in the darkness. Hogarth thought he had counted 24 by the time the barrage stopped. He looked up at his friend and was relieved to see that his eyes had returned to normal. Candy, the giant said simply. (laughs) I think we should get out of here, Hogarth said, while we still have time. Ready to hit the road? I mean, uh, ocean? The giant picked Hogarth up and turned back to the water. But they hadn't made it a full step when a shout washed over them. Not this time, Mansley bellowed. Before Hogarth could even turn around, the rocket hit the giant's back. His fingers curled instinctively into a protective cage around Hogarth, and while Hogarth felt the heat of the impact, he was relatively unharmed when the giant crashed to the ground on the shore. When the blast subsided, the giant's fingers went limp, and Hogarth was able to push his way free. He rushed to his friend's face, which was buried in the sand, but he couldn't see any signs of life. He was too scared to dig down and see if the giant's eyes were still lit. Please, please, he begged, his voice finally returning to him. You can't be dead. You're my best friend. Please. What's the matter, Slugger? Your red friend here not here to protect you anymore? You're only a minor, but treason is treason, kiddo. I'm sure they'll forgive me for this. Hogarth pulled his eyes away from the giant with great effort and turned to see Agent Mansley holding up the bazooka once more. He was covered in dust from where the fort had fallen, and Hogarth could see that he was bleeding under his torn suit, but he had a mad smile in his eyes. He approached directly behind the giant and took aim. But the rumbling Hogarth heard then was not the ignition of a rocket. It was something much more miraculous. With shocking accuracy, the final cannonball revealed itself, launching out of the giant's backside and hitting Agent Mansley square in the chest. At once confirming that Hogarth's friend was still alive and that he had been successfully able to count the number of cannonballs in the heat of battle. Maybe he wasn't losing it at nine after all. The giant rolled over and Hogarth rushed to hug the side of his face, at least as much of it as he could get his small arms around. He knew that there was a risk of overloading his friends with too many new ideas in his day, but he decided to risk it. I guess I'll have to teach you two more new words, he said. When I get sick like that, my mom says it's coming out of both ends. (laughs) The giant looked at Hogarth and repeated in his booming voice, Both ends. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Wow. I am I'm pretty pleased with that. I gotta say. Uh, you got you have to I gotta be say. how could you not there be? Was, there was a moment in there when it was you know, the the stomach was grumbling and he was he had eaten the candy, they were being attacked, and I started thinking, Oh, oh it's all coming together. I told him that his bonus points was gonna be a good poop joke. And the the giant's been eating candy. What's gonna happen? <laughs> Oh my goodness! And you know if what? If only the listeners could have seen Eric silently clapping I, giddily I as giddily that part clapping, was happening. Indeed, <laughs> though I, I have to say it was a momentary disappointment when the giant began throwing up, because uh, I'm just like, oh, wasted a perfectly good poop joke right there. You just should have been going out the other end, don't you get it? <laughs> but you you pulled it back around. You you gave us the expectation that there was a missing uh, missing cannonball. And then you paid it off with one, one well-aimed poop. <laughs> that was the goal. <laughs> oh man, that hit Kent Mansley square and true. 
Uh, and hit gosh, me. That guy's probably dead, right? <laughs> it must <I> be. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be held responsible for all your poopings. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. Maybe if you're an iron giant, you can't. But that was that story was good fun. Uh, and I am smiling big and wide at everything that just happened. <laughs> there was a lot of good stuff there. The 1950s, the you know the the anti-communist sort of propaganda stuff. That song, you went <laughs> above song. above and beyond with that song. We we didn't ask for a song and we got thank one you. and we and it was oh thank you for doing that. That was such a nice touch. It's a nice way to open it too. Good way to bring us in and put smiles on our faces so that we could accept any any garbage you, you wanted to shove down our throats. But luckily, you shoved delicious candy down our throats instead. Yay, what a treat. So, let's hear it, man. How was this process for you? Did 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 you fall in love as you wrote I this? I did. did you? I, I loved it. It was it was a fun story. Uh, the story came to me very quickly. I had gone through a couple thoughts of, oh, maybe I'll do like a heavy military thing, heavy X-Files kind of thing. And I thought, no, this is the boy and his dog story. And... <laughs> He has a friend, so it was important to me that he refers to him as his friend throughout, and that he just wanted to share all the good things like you do when you're a child. It's just so exciting. Mm-hmm. This is the thing that I love. Um, and then the the candy idea shaped up because that's the best thing in the world, and it was just a fun little tale. I uh, you know plotted out enough that I could start my story and call back to a lot of the things that came at the beginning. The um, you know, the, the candy thing obviously being throughout, the teaching, him being nine and that being getting too old for him, which that was fun. Yeah, almost double digits. Um, and yeah, I just had, I had a lot of fun with it. And I had to write that song because it was just too much fun. There's even lines that I didn't get to put in. Um, oh, ooh, <laughs> yeah. do you have them in front of you? Can you give us some more? Uh, I guess I could. Verses? It, it's just, just the end of the second Second one, uh, so yeah, do it. Let's, let's, let's uh, get the full stanza. When the Ruskies come knocking at your door, put your trust in God. Give those Reds what for? Just pull out your gun; it'll all be done. <laughs> Quick bang, splat! There, dead on the floor. <laughs> oh my wow. goodness, that got yeah. dark. Yeah, it took it's a probably turn. good that you took that bit out there. Yeah, you made a good choice uh, to leave that. It was bad that enough that out. you. You, you you killed Kent Mansley. <laughs> I mean, we can assume, but I have to assume that part. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Wow. So it's fun. Anyway, this let's 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 talk a little bit more about this. Tell me so, about it. The perspective was very strong in this piece. Um, when the, the I love how you embraced the the child perspective. Um, with this, making this very uh, strongly from Hogarth's perspective, you know, the candy being such a big thing and how excited he was, um, how at one point he says, you know, when things he when he fears trouble, the first thing he thinks about is that his mom is going to be mad at him, mm-hmm. you know, more than anything else. That's the first thing that happens, and the just the very long rant of his about the candy and his his logic behind their whole mission which he seems to be figuring out kind of as he goes. Um, wonderful. Great perspective. Great use of point of view. Thanks. Very good, uh, indeed. Um, I, just my reactions to this, um, 
Overall, very positive. I actually could have used more Kent Mansley. Mm. Uh, I felt like his little, you know, we have this little scene in the classroom, and then we have the scene in the woods, and we're all following Hogarth, and we're intensely in his brain. And then we have this switch where we're in Mansley's point of view, and I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of a nice change. And you, you started off strong. It was funny, you know, the very you know, anti-communist sort of ideas floating in his head. It all fit together so well. But actually, it was such a short taste. Like it was, and also Kent Mansley has access to battleships. And then we cut away, and we don't see him again until, you know, through Hogarth's perspective uh, towards the end. Mm -hmm. And we we jump back. We have this omniscient thing where we're jumping from Hogarth's point of view to Kent Mansley's point of view for a little bit. But it's very, very brief. Um, I think because he says that under his breath, the God bless the USA sort of thing. So, but maybe, maybe you just, maybe that wasn't his point of view. That was just whatever. Um, As a performance thing. Yeah. Okay. Well then, yeah. So we, we have this one scene in the middle, very brief with Mansley. And I I actually just wanted more just for, for balance to change the perspective up a bit to get us a, a bit of a break from the frantic sort of uh, stream of conscious thing that Hogarth was doing. Um, but, I mean, honestly, it, it, you also could have just cut it out completely, and it would have been fine. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about right now, because I agree with you, Eric, that it was a, a welcome diversion at that point. And you wrote very strongly again from Kent's perspective, but that moment didn't strike me as something remarkable. You know, it was Kent just coming to this realization, but we didn't have anything that really led to that realization other than kind of the stuff that we already know about the character and what he's doing there based on watching the film. So I don't think that was the strongest setup. And, you know, and by cutting to him in that moment and setting those things up, it's very clear that that is going to pay off in that moment, in in that end moment. Sure. And I I agree with all those points. I think they're they're solid points. Um, Just from a process standpoint, I did go through some of that debate. And Mm -hmm. the reason I put that in there was in an effort to work on making the story more self-contained. If Mansley was going to be the threat, I couldn't have him appear for the first time at the end, right? Because I was trying to make something that at least alludes to all the details that you need to know about the story so that it can Mm -hmm. work as a whole. Sure. Uh, Yeah. So that is what pushed me to put that in earlier because we get that there's a threat, there's something coming. But you're right. I had thought about doing more cutaways to Kent, you know, because you could really ratchet up the tension with the stakeout Mm -hmm. and the playing counter to... Hogarth thinking that he's safe when Mansley's just set up something there. Uh, yeah. But that, that was a time issue. So that's it's sure. not an excuse, but this ended up being one of my longer stories at about 2,700 words. Yeah, I mean, if you were going to do a Man, draft two, I would say, you know, extend that out. Do exactly what we're talking about. Ramp, ramp up that tension. The obliviousness of Hogarth versus the, you know, the careful planning of uh, Kent. That would be That would be good. Yeah. Man, you say that it was 2,700 words, man. This did not feel like that. <laughs> this this went quick. This It was self-contained, like you said. It, it, uh, it was engaging throughout. I just, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, should we get to scores? Please. Let's score it up. All right. Uh, I'll get started. Okay. Um, so 
this was a sweet one. I had a smile on my face the whole time. And we did that little bit with uh, the, um, the structure of it and the setup with Kent being a little bit weaker. Um, going to dock a few points for that. Um, and also my bonus points, um, which was revealing something about the Giants past. Um, I don't think you did much of that. Uh, I think you left that one behind. Yeah. I, I made the note that he knows where all the military installations are and hinted yeah. that Hogarth had these fears, but you're right, I didn't explicitly give one of those. Yeah, no reveals, just hints. Yes, yes. And then my secret Ooh. bonus points were that Groot was going to sneak in here somehow. <laughs> uh considering the vocal performance by Vin Diesel, and there was no references to a giant or a that, tall tree That was the tree, tree Hogarth monster. was sitting on. It was just, yeah. oh, just okay. Iron Giant just snapped Groot in half. <laughs> oh, gosh! <laughs> um, Groot will go back. It's okay. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so, that was my secret bonus point. So, anyway, considering all these things, uh, I am going to give you... Oh my goodness! I am going to give you. What am I gonna do? Maybe you make pieces these of candy on the spot. Candy, candy how, works. How, how many were there? There twenty-five pieces of candy. Oh wait a second! You know what? You know I'm gonna call them little cannonball poops. I'm gonna give you <laughs> uh, twenty-two out of twenty-five candy ball poops. Oh, jokes on you! There was only one candy ball poop. <laughs> Oh, that's right. You know, if you would have uh, kept well. them down, you know, eventually yeah. they would have become twenty-five little little rabbit turd yep. poops. Oh, uh, <laughs> little! Thank, thank you, thank you for your feedback. Uh, you know, and speaking of the poops, uh, you got my bonus points. Obviously, uh, I wanted a poop joke. You got a, you got a hell of a poop joke. You know, it wasn't quite the uh the the machine gun uh all 25 out the rear end that seemed to be set up for but you know you'd got the one and it did it, it, it didn't look like much but it, it was a hero had poop. it where it counts it, it was a hero poop uh but you didn't get my secret bonus points uh which was i thought the entire story would be teaching a robot to love <laughs> Uh, but then I was also doubling down that I thought you'd also have a good, healthy uh, helping of self-sacrifice. Because these are the two things I know about Marcus Mann, is that he loves teaching a robot to love, and he loves self-sacrifice. But, you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's not good. So, uh, it, you know, out of the 48 stars on the American flag... <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you get a solid uh I think you get a solid forty five. Ooh, thank you. Yeah, not too bad. So I'm gonna stop for just a second. Uh or, or, I mean we're still recording, of yeah. course. But I'm just gonna halt for a second and I'm just gonna say, wait a second, in nineteen fifty seven, Hawaii and Alaska weren't states yet? Did you look they this up? Not. Are you sure yeah, about uh, this? They were not yet. They they okay. added the the Alaskan star in nineteen fifty nine. Oh, and they go. added okay. the Hawaiian star in 1960. Oh, look at that. You know your stuff. I don't know history. So, <laughs> I'm the dummy here. Uh, speaking of history, I should point out to our Civil War buffs in the audience that hey. Fort Preble by 1957 had actually been bought by a college and was starting to be used as a campus. You know, I, I looked at the uh, pictures while you are talking about this. I looked up Fort Preble 
uh, 1950s and discovered I did not see any cannonballs in the middle of the courtyard. You know, just just saying. Yes. Ooh. So, you know, we took some creative liberties here, guys. <laughs> uh, I know someone's really going to slap us on the wrist for that one. Yep. Yep. Anyway, God All bless right. America. God you, bless you can, fiction. You can offend the bronies. You can offend the Harry Potter fans. But you cannot, under any circumstances, offend the Civil War reenactors. Very true. <laughs> All right, guys. So if you want to watch The Iron Giants, and Marcus has just ordered that Blu-ray of his, so he's going to be watching it. Sure am. I got mine, too, after doing this. Because Eric and I, we watched it like chumps on streaming. So I went ahead and bought the Blu-ray, too. Signature edition, everybody. It was pretty cheap. Um, it contains two new scenes that weren't in the original cut of the film. Or in the sham so, fiction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good point. So pick it up wherever you pick stuff up because it's out there. And it's a great film. It's 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 just gosh darn excellent. My goodness. Check it out. Yeah. Pick it up. Do those things. All right. Fantastic. All right, guys. Are we good? Any signing off? Oh, any final thoughts? You know, I just need to mention that if you think you have the ability to defeat a certain group of aliens uh, you can't beat the dredge of pure energy oh, oh there good. it is good alright All right. guys for America this is this is Andrew Neal and company <laughs> and Andrew Neal yep. <laughs> good night thank you I'm glad you guys signed this off for me yeah. I feel so special good. thanks Later. goodbye bye <laughs>